Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, for young men and women that are willing to serve you. Father, we thank you for the older generation that has taught them how to serve, led by example. And Father, this morning as we prepare to, Father, to bring your word, Lord, we just ask that it would please you to please let us preach. And that it's not us that's hurt. Father, it's your word that's hurt. And Father, we do lift up this revival that's coming up, Lord. We've been lifting it up and we'll continue to lift it up. Father, the revival in the land of your children, we'd get excited about coming and serving you. Lord, we we thank you for yesterday's report that our young people were able to travel, Lord, and, and have a safe journey down and a safe trip back up. And Father, that from the pictures and from the text messages that, Lord, they enjoyed the fellowship and the, the unity as one group. And God, that's what we asked for this morning, that we have the fellowship and the unity as one in the body of Christ. And Father, we pray this in your Son's holy name. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen. This morning, as we we look at Hebrews five, uh, and and when we were looking at this, and it said, you know, that those that require milk, and so Paul was trying to relay in his writings here that it's time for God's children to become a knife and fork person. Now. I am amazed when I go and sit down with some of our college students that don't know how to cut meat. I went the other night and we had a, uh, a traditional Seder dinner as the college has a class that goes through the, the Jewish feast. And, and so we, we went and we sat and we had this. And, and I was amazed at some of those young men and women that don't know how to use a knife. I, they looked like they had a piece of oak board and an old handsaw trying to cut through there. You know. And I said, I looked at one, I said, you've got to cut it with the grain. And he looked at me and went, it's not a piece of wood, it's meat. And so we feel, you know, turn it, go the other. And so what did he do? Like he done exactly like most Christians do. Instead of just turning it, 180, he did a 360 and got back to the same spot and tried to solve through it again. So here in, in Hebrews, and just a little background so you'll know what is, is happening here. Paul is writing the, the book of Hebrews. And, and if you had your guess as to who he was writing it to, from the title of the book, who do you think he was? he's writing it to? Hebrews. That's who he's writing it to. Who were the Hebrews? The Jewish people that were enslaved in Egypt and were in bondage. 
And multiple times throughout the Jewish history, they have been bound up and captive. They, they have been caught up in and, and made to serve others and, and enslaved in others' beliefs and others' wants and others' wishes. And so Paul is writing this book to the Hebrews that are in Jerusalem. He's writing this book of Hebrews to the very first ones that saw after the ascension that saw in Acts chapter 2 the Spirit of the Lord poured out and what all happened and where the church started. And so he's writing this letter to them. And he's telling them here in chapter 5. And we know there are great things in Hebrews. We have, we have what we call the hall of faith. You know, later on here in Hebrews, he starts trying to emphasize what he told in the first of Hebrews. Is look. You say, I've got to face all these trials and troubles and all that. And he starts, look at these, look at Moses. Look at, look at Abraham. Look at the ones that have gone through. And so he's emphasizing later in the book what he wrote in the first of the book. So here in chapter 5, we see that he's, he's telling them. Now, everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with a message about righteousness because he's an infant. Now, that sounds kind of harsh that he's telling them they're an infant. And so if you really want to know what Paul said and you look at the Greek that Paul wrote it in, he looked at them and said, uh, was writing in here and he went, you're all a bunch of big babies. Encouraged about tonight's revival? You're all a bunch of big babies. Why? Because you're still drinking milk. You don't want anything more than that. You just want the milk. Now, contrary to a lot of people that are trying to turn things around... I agree with the slogan, milk does a body good. I'm the poster child for that. When we were growing up every day, three boys in the house, my mother would stop on the way home and buy two gallons of milk and a loaf of bread every day. White bread. White bread. Not that brown stuff that tastes like card. White bread. Stick to your ribs, add to your hips, white bread. And milk, whole milk. Not one, two, or skim, whole milk. And, and actually, we had people in our community that had dairies, and we would go get real milk. Real milk. You know, we had the cream on the top about that thick, and you'd take that jar and you'd... <laughs> And then you'd try to, and it, it was thick. So there's nothing wrong with milk. Milk's good. 
You get an Oreo cookie, you stab it in the middle with a fork, you dunk it down in there three or four times, pop that in your mouth. Milk is good. Some of y'all drink coffee in your milk. I've seen y'all make cups of it. And it's it's white. I didn't know coffee was white till I got older. And I know now why, because we took the jug, shook the cream up so y'all couldn't have it. A few of you got that. The rest of you's like, what's he talking about? It's in that pack, you just sprinkle it in. No. A few years ago we were in Arkansas and my wife made a recipe had a recipe and she made and it called for heavy whipping cream. It's sitting in the refrigerator, in the kitchen, behind a closed door, and me sitting on the couch, I would sit there and just, oh, that stuff's in there, and it's good. So there is nothing wrong with milk. Milk's good. Our, our, our loved Levi Casey, if you ever went to Levi's house and you went through the back door, because that was the only door he, he'd let you in because the front door was nailed shut. And on his porch walking in, there were, Don can back us up, Ethel can vary, hundreds of gallons, empty gallon milk jugs where he would drink milk. Milk's good. And now there are a group of people that are coming out and saying the only people that tell you milk's good for you is the dairy farmers and the American Dairy Association. They're also closely related to the folks that tell you meat's not good and that this ain't good and that ain't good. But here Paul was telling the church where the church started at in Jerusalem You're inexperienced, and you're only drinking the milk. You're not getting the whole thing about Christianity. You're not absorbing in the nutrients that you need to grow and become a stronger Christian. Yes, we drank milk, and I loved it. But while we were drinking that milk, we had some kind of food to go along with it. What Paul was trying to tell the church there that day is, you're no longer babies. Because you see, when Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, this was several years, a couple of decades actually, after the church had started, and they were still bickering and fighting over Things that had been settled a long time ago. The church here in Jerusalem was still under bondage to Rome and felt like they had to do what the Romans told them to do. Church, we've got people sitting in our church today. I said it. In our church today that feel like they're under bondage to do what the world tells them to do and believe what the world tells them to believe and they feel like there's no other way out of it and they're in bondage to that belief.
We have people that are coming into God's house that are so weak in the spiritual nature that they don't have any any idea whether or not what is being said to them is scriptural or not. I've said it before and I'll continue as long as as I'm here. I I want to have our young people, I want to have you, I want to have somebody come up and read the scriptures because it's not what I'm saying, it's what God's word says. And you ought to be able to determine that for yourselves. That that's what God's word says. I had a friend one night that I went to hear him. He was preaching in, in his church, and I was just out visiting. And, and, and I went, and I walked in. He went, oh, thank you. I, I prayed God would send somebody. And I thought, and you, you look for me? And he gave me his car keys, and he said, here. He said, when the crowd turns, go out and crank my car, and we'll get it and go out and leave. He said, pull it up close to the front so I can just get in and drive off. And I said, well, what are we going to do about mine? And he said, oh, they won't bother yours. They're only going to be after me. And so he got up there that night, and what his sermon was that night to the group of people that had come that night to his church, he told them that he could tell them anything he wanted to, and they would believe it. Matter of fact, he said, I could tell you to turn to the 13th chapter of the book of Fred and half of you would sit here all night flipping through your Bibles trying to find Fred. And he told them they were like a bunch of goats that were, or a bunch of sheep that were following the goat being led to slaughter. And that's what Paul was writing to the first church here, to the first Christians was that whatever people are telling you, you're believing because you're not grounded enough in God's Word to understand what your rights are. Do you know as God's children, we have rights? We have rights that people want to take away from us. For several years, we were afraid to go into a public building and say Merry Christmas. Because we were told that was wrong and it offended people. And they would rather have Happy Holiday. Well, you know what? I'd say it. I tell them Happy Holiday because what they didn't know, because they didn't know God's Word is, is what you were telling them was, have a Happy Holy Day. And they didn't even know it. You were blessing them and they were blessing you by telling you to have a holy day. We celebrated celebrated Valentine's Day on Friday. And I saw a quote from a, a lady on Facebook that said, If you marry the right partner every day is Valentine's Day. And no, my wife didn't put that post out there. That was somebody else. We as God's children have the right to believe in God. We as God's children have the right to have faith. 
We as God's children have the right to believe that a Savior named Jesus came from God, His only begotten Son, came to earth, lived with us, died on a cross to take our sins away, went to a grave, and came out the third day, and now sits at the right hand of God making intercessions for you and I. And as a child of God, we have the right to believe that. And the world does not have the right to tell us we can't. We're going into a season of we're going to be bombarded with people telling us what we should and should not believe. What we should hear and what we should not hear. What we should do and what we should not do as long as it conforms to the world. The church, believe it or not, in the United States today is one of the most persecuted group in the world. Because why? Because we're still drinking milk. We haven't got into the meat of what God has for us. The meat. The thing that we need to get a knife and fork and have to cut into. Because you see, what Paul was telling the very first church, what he was telling the very first Christians, and you remember last week we talked about what Christian means? Everybody says, oh, it's to be like Christ. But the first time the word Christian was used, it was derogatory. Because what they were telling the Christians, the Jews that didn't believe, is you're a slave. You're a slave to Christ. You belong to Him as if they were bought and a slave. And the ones that they were calling Christians were excited about it because there was and has and never will be a better master than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the ones that bought into it, the ones that believed, the ones that said, you know, there's more to life than being in bondage and in misery and in sorrow. And I'm going to find out what it is. And we find this as Paul had traveled through his missionary journeys that Paul ran into this at other places, not just at Jerusalem, but in other places. Paul found that the Jews, not wanting the Gentiles to be allowed to be Christians, that they were burdening them down with laws, rules, non-scriptural requirements. And if you don't believe me, look at Acts 11 and Acts 15. That's where he was telling them. That's where they were arguing about what the Gentiles had to do to accept Christ. Last Sunday night, if you were not here, you missed a blessing as Rebecca spoke and she gave her testimony of her life. And she said as she got older, the hardest thing for her to do was accept the simplicity of the gospel in its purest form. Because she had grown up believing that there was all these rules that she had to follow. All these regulations, 
that you had to give. All these bylaws and these constitutions, and, I, and, and don't get me wrong, there are things that the church needs to put. It's bad, it's sad, but we have to put it in writing. We don't tolerate this. We don't follow that. We don't do. It's bad because it's already written in God's Word. You want a church constitution? There's 66 books of it already written and laid out for you. You want some bylaws? Here's some bylaws. Love God and no one else. And love your brother as you love yourself. We couldn't keep ten, so he cut it down to two. And we sure couldn't keep the 630-something that the Jews had added into it. Because it's easier to pour more milk in it and thin it out. Now, I'm going to give you a little, I love to cook. I hate to clean up, but I love to cook. And my grandmother, bless her heart, she wasn't even five foot tall. Some days I don't think she was over three foot tall. But, you know, she was redheaded. You know why? Because God puts warning labels on some folks. So my grandmother was redheaded. And, 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 Trust me, her grandsons, all of us over six foot tall and, and, and almost all of us over 300 pounds. And, and, and when that woman said, you said, we sat. When she said stand, we stood. When she said eat, we ate. We ate a lot. My granddaddy used to say, my grandsons don't eat till they get full. They eat till they get tarred. But my grandmother would cook, and, and, and our son learned this from her, and he, he got mad at my grandmother, and then he got mad at me because he was like, what do you put in there? And it was, oh, a handful of this, and a handful of that, and a pinch of this, and a little. And, and Brandon went, look at your hand, and then look at mine. <laughs> and I said, you ought to have seen my grandmama's hand. It was little. But what she would say is you put it in, and you, you test it, and you taste it, and you see if it's right. And if it's not, you put some more in. And if it's too much, you add something else to take away from That's what too many of God's people are doing today in church is we're adding in and we're adding in and we're adding in. We don't like the taste, so we bring something else and put it in. And then we find something that starts to taste good and we're like, oh, I, I, I can make that taste better. I'm not bragging, but I, I can cook a hamburger pretty good. If I follow my original recipe, but every now and then I get a little excited and go, you know, if I put a little bit more of this in it, or I add this to it, or just a little, it doesn't taste the same. And I try to put too much into it. And this is what Paul was telling the first church, just like he told them in Acts, when, or Luke told in Acts, about Paul's journeys when he was writing down what Paul and Barnabas and Silas and Timothy and Mark and all of them were doing when they were traveling, is quit adding to what doesn't need to be added to. Quit pouring the milk in to thin it out. Or quit shaking the cream up in it to make it thicken up. 
Church, I want to tell you something today. We have added so many laws, rules, and regulations that people that are not in the church have got such thick skin because they're afraid of what they've done in their past. They cannot ever be loved, forgiven, accepted, or wanted. And they thick skin out. They just want to know they're loved. But the church has been so full of milk and we've become so thin that we don't know how to show love. We don't know how to offer love. We don't know how to give love. Paul was doing this on his journeys. Luke recorded it in Acts 11 and 15. He said, quit burdening people down with stuff that God said is not their fault. It's not their problem. Church, listen to me this morning. If you hear nothing else, anything that you're going through today, any heartache, any burden, any shame, any guilt, any sorrow, you were never meant to carry it past the cross. That's why the cross was made from rough lumber, was so it was rough and it would catch a hold of your sins and sorrows, heartaches, brokenness, despair and pain, and it would cling to that cross and then be covered by the blood of Jesus, and you don't have to carry it past that. But the church is so full of people drinking milk that we come out here and go, oh, i got to get that back off because that's theirs. I've got to go find that part of it and bring it to them and give it back to them. And if, if we could see spiritually like God sees, if we could have our spiritual eyes opened up when people come walking through that door, you would see the suitcases that people drag in behind them filled. Well, I know I'm going to have to have this because they're going to blame me about it. I know I'm going to have to bring this with me because i got to pick it back up. It's because God's people are not knife and fork Christians and we're not digging into God's Word and understanding that God said, Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And to be saved is to be free and forgiven. Paul told them, and Luke wrote it down. Look, Paul said, quit burdening them down. They don't need it. They need Christ. We find in chapter 9 that the chosen ones of Israel, who Paul is writing Hebrews to, who was God's chosen people? The Jews. And guess what? They rejected him. Yeah. Yeah. His own folks rejected him. You ever had that happen to you? The person that you think would love you the most goes, I don't want you no more. I sat in a, in a, Sunday, in a prayer room one Sunday morning. And we gathered around and we prayed for a young lady who said that her husband had woke up that morning and while they were eating breakfast, 
while they, her and the children were getting ready to come to church, sitting at the table, eating breakfast. He, she said he takes a bite and looks up very casually, wipes his mouth with a napkin and says, I don't love any of y'all anymore and I'll be gone when you come home. And continued to eat like it was nothing. She came to church that morning rejected and broken and didn't know what to do. And after service was over with, she, she, she asked for the elders and some of the people of the church to come. And we went and we, we, we got her and we prayed over her. We prayed for her family and we prayed for them and that they would find peace and they would come back together. And you know what? Eleven years ago, and they're still together, and he loves her, and he goes to church with her. Because why? Because she was drinking more than milk. She was a knife and fork Christian that knew if I bring my cares, sorrows, and heartaches to God, he will fix them. And he's doing it still today. But we find in the book of Romans that the ones that God brought his only son to rejected him. Didn't want him. And we find that happening so many times today that when people come to God's house, they get rejected. Because everybody says, Oh, I know what they used to do. Oh, I know where they've been. You know, three years ago on a Friday night, we was coming home. And their car was in the parking lot of a building that we shouldn't be going to. You know what? The bars and the strip clubs and the adult buildings and everything else, they're giving them what the church is not. They're searching for something that will fill them up, satisfy them, and make them feel wanted and loved because they're not finding it in God's house. Because too many of God's children are still drinking milk. We're not having the nutrients. We're not being filled and we're not being sustained by God's word enough to be able to stand there and put our arms around them and say, let me hold you till the brokenness is back together. Several years ago, there was a quote that was going all over. The, everybody had it. Hold them so tight that the broken pieces come back together. Why do you think Christ's arms were stretched out on the cross? So he could reach out and grab all the way around. I have an aunt that she's, she's, she's funny. She's hilarious. I love her. She's about this tall. And she kids me every time I'm around her. And, well, and my oldest brother now and, well, most of our family she says that she carries a piece of chalk in her pocket and when she hugs, she gets to where her arms can reach and she makes a mark and then she comes around on the other side so she can finish up. Church, there are people sitting in our midst, in our congregations and in our buildings this morning that have gotten so much around them, so many barriers that they're trying to keep people away that maybe we need to hug them from more than one side to let them know how much they're loved. 
They put up this shield all the way around. I don't want anybody inside here because they might find out the true me. They might find out why I'm hurting. They might find out why because I've been hurt so many times. Because I've only been around folks that are drinking milk. And their religion is thin. And their relationship is threadbare. We find that in Hebrews chapter 5, as Paul is writing this, we find that people are getting their bellies full of the grace, love, and mercy that God is offering while still trying to hold on to the world and wonder why their bellies are hurting. Paul was writing to the Jewish people for the purpose to exhort Christians to preserve in the face of persecution with the strength to withstand the onslaught of the worldly temptations, which was saying you've got to add more and more and more instead of believing what God's doing. When God's children only intake milk, they lack the nourishment that they have and the strength to withstand them. The body needs a full scope of nutrients to maintain and build up the body. So what does that mean? Is we need everybody. And you say, oh, now wait a minute. There's some folks over there. We need everybody. Well, them folks over there, we need everybody. Well, them folks over God said, love them. Well, well them, person, them people, I don't care. God's son died for them. Well, what about them folks? God's son rose from the grave for them. Well, what about them? God's son is sitting at the right hand of the Father making atonement for guess what? Not only them, but for you and I. One of the very most popular singers in the recent years, this young lady had a child, and, and, and her and the child both were not doing well. They, the child seemed to be sick all the time. The mother seemed just to be tired and run down. And she went to a doctor, and thank God she found a doctor that has some common sense. They're about as few and far between as pastors with common sense. But she found this guy, and he said, you need to add stuff to your diet besides plants. Sure enough, she started adding in a little bit of dairy and then a little bit of other stuff. And guess what? They both began to strengthen. They both began to get better. They both began to heal. Church, it doesn't take one ingredient. But we want to limit it to that one ingredient for us, but then we want to pile on a whole bunch of other stuff to everybody else, and we thin out the gospel so thin that everything comes in falls into it. There's nothing to keep out the world because we've thinned it out so much that if it comes in, it's not shielded, it's just absorbed into We have a light up here that's, well, it's, 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 we're going to have a funeral for it. It's dead. We took the globe off of it this morning and little pieces of plastic were melted and fallen into the globe. And everybody's sitting there going, which one is it? Is it the one over my head? 
I've heard fire and brimstone. I've heard fire run down, rain down from heaven. Some of y'all are sitting there now going, which one? Well, it's the one behind me. So if it gets anybody, it'll get me first. And as bad as I'm sweating right now, it would extinguish any flame that hit me. And we joked about it when we took it down and saw it. And we said, man, that'd be a great spot to put the new laser lights and smoke machine. That's what's happened to the gospel of Jesus. We've replaced the love and the message with lights and smoke and, 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 and we're becoming like the magicians and we're becoming like the politicians. We've got a smoke screen over here so you don't see what's bad and, and then you, we, we don't have to tell you what's true. And when God's children are only drinking milk and they're not dissecting the word of God, when they're not digging in to find out, thus saith the Lord, then everything falls into it. Paul wrote to the Jewish people to exhort them to have a knowledge of what they needed. We find that when Paul was in first or in first in Thessalonica, that the Jews ran him off. They rioted. They wanted to get rid of him. So Paul left, and we find that in the very next chapter, where at night the, the, the ones that believed told Paul, said, look, you and your partners, y'all got to get out of here because these folks are going to kill you. Because what was Paul doing? Paul was preaching the gospel to them. Paul was preaching in depth to them. And they didn't want that. They wanted that glass of milk that was easy to swallow. They didn't want to have to get in God's Word and start analyzing it, looking through it. I learned that in sign language. This is analyze. To investigate. As you pull it apart and you look at what's inside and you find out, oh, didn't know it said that. There it is. I didn't know that was in God's word. And then you also start finding when you start analyzing and digging into it that a lot of stuff that you thought was there ain't there. But you got to dig into it and find it. So when he went to, I left Thessalonica and went to the city of Berea, he found a group of Christians that were in God's word daily and were profounding on it. And when Paul said something, they knew where it was at. They knew what scriptures and scrolls it was written in. So when Paul went in and said, the, the Lord said this, they wrote, yep, Esaias wrote that in his letters. Moses wrote that in his letters. They were able to tell him, David, our king, our brother, and our countryman wrote that when he wrote this. And it said they discerned it and they knew it. So they were no longer just digging in and getting a glass of milk. They were deep and rooted and embedded in God's Word. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. I hope you still got your Bibles open. 
If you don't, I'll give you just a few minutes to get back to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. Hopefully this has cooled down enough I can take a drink. And no, it's not coffee, it's tea. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. Paul started out what we heard earlier with this verse. He said, although by this time, by what time? Paul wrote this at least two decades after God's Spirit was poured out in Jerusalem after they saw 3,000 souls added to the kingdom in one day. He wrote this at least two decades after the church saw that meeting together in each other's home, breaking bread, reading the Scriptures, and sharing God's love with each other, that many, many, many were added daily to the kingdom. After this time, You've had 20 years at least, in some maybe 30 years. And although by this time, mark it out and put 20 to 30 years after you first experienced and saw God's work, you ought to be teachers. But yet you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. You need milk not solid food. Being able to handle, understand, and defend our beliefs is called apologetics. The world has tried to convince Christians we ought to apologize for believing in a Savior called Jesus Christ. But apologetics is being able to defend why you believe in Jesus Christ. It saddens me to believe that in the church today, God's people, God's chosen people, and who is His chosen people? Anybody that calls on the name of the Lord and has been saved are His chosen people. And it really bothers me that the majority of His people can't defend why they believe in Jesus Christ. It bothers me that they cannot. They see the sparkling lights and the shiny thing over here and they run over to it when they can't determine what is in God's Word. I'm going to say this, but first, I love each and every one of you, but by this time, some of y'all ought to be getting up out of your pews, going out and sharing the gospel with a lost and dying world instead of sitting here wanting spoon-fed and milkshakes. I said it a few weeks ago. Some of y'all came down to the front and said, I want to join this church or I want to accept Christ 40 years ago. And you've walked back to your pew and it's been 39 years and 364 days since you stood up and got excited about God's Word. Pick one up or the other. I'll get both of them here in a minute. It's what Paul was telling the Christians, the Hebrews, the chosen ones here in chapter 5. It's by this time you've seen God's Son's work come alive in front of you. 
You've seen God's work be amplified and grow and see what it will do when it at its purest form is given to the world. And when you read in his scriptures, you search and you try to find where God's word tells you about the problem you're facing right now. It's in there. You got a physical deformity. Look at Moses. Well, I like to drink a little bit. Noah built an ark. Well, I'm depressed. I've lost everything. Look at Job. Well, they don't know my past. Look at Mary Magdalene. We can go on and on and on. I don't have the finances. Look at the widow who fed Elijah. Every time she went back to dip flour and oil out, there was more. Every problem you face, there's a solution in the Bible. Every problem. Well, I'm sick. Call the elders of the church together. Let them lay hands on you and pray for you. It's in James. It's in the Bible. It's in God's Word. But you've got to dig into it. You've got to analyze it and see. Search it out. And I'm not one of those old-fashioned ones that's going to stand up here and say, you've got to read it cover to cover. If you've got an ailment, all you've got to do is take out your smartphone. Instead of playing games on it right now, school it over to Google and rule it and pop in whatever is ailing you and say, where's the Scripture at? And it'll tell you. Yes, I use Google to look stuff up. I'm I'm pretty smart. I'm smart enough to marry this lady over here. I'm smart enough to get in out of the rain. Smart enough to eat when I'm hungry, sleep when I'm tired. Put gas in the truck or the car whenever I need to put gas in it. But there's some things I have to look up. And if your life is in such a shambles, you don't know where to turn, look it up in God's Word. You'll find the answer and the solution to it in God's Word. By this time, you ought to be teaching. By this time, you ought to be sharing. By this time, you ought to be witnessing. By this time, the Greek word Paul wrote here for teach was including every bit of it. It was selling them. You ought to be able to do everything there is to do for the kingdom of God because it was done for you. That's what Paul was telling them. So church this morning, what I want you to know is God loves you. I love you. But by this time, we ought to be able to go out and share why we believe in Jesus Christ with a lost and dying world. I love the fact that Robin didn't even know who Shane Dodson was, but went up to him and said, I want to invite you to the revival. And Shane said, the one I'm preaching in? And then I get a text from Shane. I love the enthusiasm that they come and invite people they don't even know. Sunday or Wednesday, we went to eat at Weston's. We're sitting there ordering. We got priority service. The cook come out and brought us our food. And 
when he set our food down on the table, he looked at Jim Bowles, Mark Curry, and myself and went, guys, we're holding this revival and y'all ought to come to it. Y'all could benefit from it. I know Brad was kidding because of what he knew had happened, but the fact that Brad was willing to stand in the middle of the restaurant and share was something. And we can go around this church to people that have shared and and done things, but we can also go around this church, and if we're really honest, we're a lot more like Peter. Hey, wasn't you at that revival last year? No, it wasn't me. Hey, didn't I see you pulling out of the parking lot of that church? No, that wasn't me. Hey, did did I hear you pray before you ate your dinner? No, that wasn't me praying. Mm -mm. Because we want the milk and we don't want to sit down with a knife and fork and cut into God's word and get deep into it. Because you know what? Some of y'all may think, boy, he's pointing his finger right at me this morning and he's talking directly to me. And, and, and he, and he, I'm going to tell you something. You don't know how many times when I'm preparing for these, I get as convicted over things in my life as you ought to over things in your life. We had a pastor pray Wednesday morning and he said, Lord, send your spirit, but God convict me that I would continue to remember how good you are. This morning, are you ready to become a knife and fork Christian? Are you ready to really dig into God's word and dig down deep into it? We're going to start a sermon series next week and it's about... David and Goliath. We were challenged in class the other day at school to to take 1 Samuel chapter 17. There's your homework, all right? 1 Samuel chapter 17. And get used to it. We're going to be there for a while. We were challenged to find five points that we could build a lesson or a sermon off of. And I sat and I looked at it, and yes, I pulled Google up and I said, okay, what is it? I got through the first verse and had four. Had four. I don't think I got the first sentence in the second verse and had the fifth one. So we're going to start in 1 Samuel chapter 17, the story of David and Goliath. We're going to dig into it. We're going to analyze it. We're going to go into God's word and find out what it says. Church, you don't have to wait till next week. You can start this morning. And you can start this morning by coming and saying, God, I, I, I haven't been where I need to be. I haven't done what I needed to do. I've added on to your word when I should have been just taking away my opinions and my thoughts. Lord, I'm broken and, and all I've done has been drinking the milk and, and, and Lord, it's time that I got in into a full meal. I tell Katie this very often and anybody else that brings it out and... and don't stop doing it because it's fine for y'all. It's, it's good. I can live. I, I won't die. But donuts ain't breakfast. 
they're the appetizer you eat while breakfast is cooking. While the bacon and the eggs and the sausage are on and the biscuits are rising and you're getting ready to make that gravy. Oh, gravy, it's a food group in itself. When you get ready to do that. Church, this morning too many of us are still eating the donuts while the good breakfast is waiting. Too many this morning are waiting to get a pat on the back, a hug around the neck that says, boy, you're doing great. Keep doing what you're doing. Don't make a change in your life at all. And you're walking out the door covered in a mask that says, I'm miserable and I'm lonely and I'm hurting and I don't know what to do. But if I share it with anybody, they'll, they'll, they'll reject me. I get an extra hour to preach this morning because I'm not preaching tonight. So... But no, we're going to stop. We're going to stop there this morning because I want you to know that that I do love you. But more importantly, that God loves you, and that more importantly, that when you dig in and find that for yourself, find true love of God for yourself, you'll find peace. You'll find happiness and you'll find joy. But you got to get off the milk and get into God's Word. Father, this morning as we close, Lord, we, we just ask you, God, that you would take away, Father, our dependency, Father, to not be nourished. That you would take away our, our, our wants and our desires to, Lord, to not have to dig in your word. Not have to find truth. And God, this morning, maybe there's some that have been broken because all they've ever been fed is the milk. And they need to come and find your love poured out on them. Father, maybe there are some that are broken that think that I, I can never be repaired. I've done too much. I've gone too far. I'll never make it back. Father, let them dig into your word and find you. And digging into the word starts in prayer. Prayer opens the door between you and them. Lord, you know their hurts, their needs, their wants. God, prayer lets them talk to you. This morning, Lord, our altars are open, and, and if anybody needs to come for whatever reason, let them come. And if they think if I go, they're going to talk about me, well, we'll pray for them too. We'll pray that they come. And that they dig into God's word and see that their life is just as broken, just as hurtful, and just as much shame if they're willing to admit that God, it's time we pick up the knife and the fork and we start digging into what you want us to have. Lord, we pray this in your son's name. If you'll stand with us, and as they sing, our altars are open. If you need to come for any reason, any reason at all, will you come this morning?